joy Christmas praise song that we are going to be learning this season. He shall reign forevermore. Uh, today we are wrapping up a series in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to be looking at chapter 42, and I'm going to read for you the first 16 verses. So if you would just turn over to Jeremiah with me and flip over to page whatever the page number is on the pew Bibles or whatever page number you have. But if you don't have a Bible, you'll find a pew Bible there in front of you and you can use the page number on the screen. Take you to Jeremiah 42. Starting in verse 1, we read, Then all the army officers, including Johanan, son of Canariah, and Jezaniah, son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please, hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we are were once many, we are now only a few. Pray that the Lord your God will tell us what we should do, where we should go. I have heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested, I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it is favorable or unfavorable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are, to whom we are sending you so that it will go well with us. For we will obey the Lord our God. Ten days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. So he called together Johanan, son of Korea, and all the army officers who were with him, and all the people from the least to the greatest. And he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition, says. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you. And not uproot you. For I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him declares the Lord. For I am with you and will save you. And I will deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion. So that he will have compassion on you. And restore you to your land. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are seated, there's a quick note. Normally during this time, we do have kingdom kids for kiddos who are four-year-olds through second graders. We do not, and do not have kingdom kids today, but that will resume next week, I believe. Is that right? We can, we can, yes, it will resume next week. Um, one quick announcement before we pray and jump into this last message on Jeremiah. I mentioned it earlier about Advent and the four Sundays leading up to Christmas Day. I'll also mention to you about our Christmas Eve service that will be taking place on Saturday, of course, December 24th at 6 p.m. right here in the sanctuary. These are great opportunities to invite your family and friends, those you work with, those you go to school with. Uh, people are often more open to the idea of coming to a church service during this time of year. And so we want to make that easy for you. So we put together little invite cards 
On one side, it mentions the Sunday morning services leading up to Christmas Day. And on the back side, it talks about the Christmas Eve service and has information on that. So I want to encourage you today, grab a few of these. They're on the table in the back. In the foyer as you leave, they're actually right here as well on this table where our Advent wreath is. Just grab two or three or four or five, how many you think you'll use. Put those in your pocket, your wallet, your purse. And as you're out and about, and God might prompt you to invite someone to to join you on Christmas Day. And then you can just use that card as an easy way to let them know the information they need to know so they can be here. Okay, so I just want to pray together before we take a look at uh, not only Jeremiah 42, but actually going through the end of this uh, great book that we've been talking about. And we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer now. So if you would pray with me. Father God, we come to you today and we are grateful. We're coming out of Thanksgiving and and I hope that, um, God, we have been reflecting on the goodness of our God, what you have done for us, what you have done for us in giving us life and what you have done for us in, in giving us Christ. God, with hearts of gratitude, we want to come to you and and hear from you and be obedient to you. We want to follow you not in order to earn your favor, your love, your forgiveness. We want to follow you because in Jesus you have given those to us freely. It is grace to us. It is a gift to us that we could not earn and we cannot lose. God, knowing that that's the kind of God you are, that's the God we have been singing about and hearing about through the testimony of missionaries. God, that that truth about who you are would settle in us and transform us from the inside out. That we may be unlike the, the folks of Judah we read today who profess to want to follow your will but truthfully did not. But that we would, we would mean it. Even as we struggle and fail to live up to your word in our heart, we would mean it. We would, we would want to follow you. So God, as we come to your word, I pray that you'd open our eyes to see what you'd have us to see, soften our hearts to receive it, and ready our hands and feet to live it. This is what we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. A little bit of uh, context for you, what's taking place in Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is actually a book about hope. And you, we, last couple scripture readings, if you've been tracking with us, it doesn't always sound that way, Right? But if you think about it, what is hope? Hope is something you are looking forward to in the midst of present circumstances that may be unfavorable. You know, so we have to hope in the midst of dark times. And that might describe your life. That certainly describes our world. And so we lit the candle of hope today. And I just want to highlight once again that the big picture of Jeremiah is one of hope. They needed to hear it because in their present circumstances, things did not look hopeful. Things looked like they were going to just implode. In fact, that was the warning of Jeremiah. That there is only hope when we place our faith in God and that faith leads us to be obedient to him. That is where you're going to find hope. Hope is not out there on your own, doing your own thing, ignoring God. There is no hope in that. In fact, what comes after all of that is destruction. Uh, What comes after all of that rebellion is God's discipline. And that's, in fact, what they were experiencing. Uh, Israel, as we often think of it, was actually divided 
uh, in Jeremiah's day. You had the northern kingdom that had already been defeated by the Assyrians, but you still have the southern kingdom, Judah, hanging in there. And Jeremiah was a prophet. He actually started out his ministry as a priest, and then God calls him to be a prophet. And a prophet speaks forth the words of God. Sometimes that means he would tell what would happen in the future, and sometimes it's a message for God's people today. And Jeremiah certainly was a picture of both of those things. And he's saying to the southern kingdom, Judah, what happened to our brothers and sisters to the north, Israel, that's going to happen to us. And why? Why would God discipline us when he brought us to what we call the promised land? Why would he discipline us? Why, why would he be hard on us, be harsh towards us? Why would God punish us? And we find quite clearly that the answer is because people have turned their back on God. And the folks in Judah had done that just as their uh, counterpart to the north had done. And so God's discipline towards them was going to be the same. But the Assyrians had been overtaken by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians in Jeremiah's day was the world's superpower. And so this world's superpower is putting pressure uh, on Jerusalem, on where, which is the capital city of Judea. So that gives you a bit of the context. What, is, what are we looking at today? Well, these few chapters, 42 through 45, are actually the last things we hear from Jeremiah. Now, there's another several chapters after that. You may be aware of that. What's taking place in those other chapters is a prophetic word God had given Jeremiah prior to, and they are tagged at the end of the book to let, let not only Israel know what God is going to do, but other kingdoms around them, including Babylon, and then it recounts the end of Jerusalem as they knew it at the end of Jeremiah. 52. So that's, that's the context. What's, that's what's taking place not only in the whole of Jeremiah, but in this last little section. And here's, where, here's what I find that could be helpful to us today, is that Judah is in trouble. How many of you have been in trouble before? We all have. We could all raise our hand, right? Some of you are maybe in the doghouse today. You may be in trouble today, right? Trouble comes to us. Trouble comes our way. And the question that I think Jeremiah both asks and answers is, when you find yourself in trouble, oftentimes of your own making, how do you handle it? What will you do after you've done the thing that you did to get you in trouble? What will you do now? How will you handle this trouble you find yourself in? And in the middle of it, there is a word of hope that if Judah is to respond rightly to the trouble they're in, God is willing and ready to relent, to let off. If they will obey God, then God is going to take care of them. If they disobey God, then God is going to discipline them. Now, we're dealing with Old Covenant, so we have to translate some of this into New Covenant. In other words, in the old covenant, the agreement between God and man, that's a covenant, was dependent upon both parties holding up their end of the deal. Largely, that's what an old covenant meant. In the new covenant, what we learn is that the agreement between God and man, God upholds both ends. He not only upholds his end, but he also upholds our end. How does he do that? He does that in Jesus. Jesus lives the perfect life we should have lived. And he dies a sinless death that we should have died, taking on our sins so that we might become, in the words of Scripture, the righteousness of God. Now, why am I saying all that? Because I want you to understand, in this new covenant, doesn't mean God will not discipline us. It means we escape the eternal punishment of hell. 
That's what the new covenant gives us. It's hope that though we are sinners, we are saved by grace. But it nev- the new covenant, grace in Jesus, life in Christ, does not teach us that there are no consequences to our actions. Does not tell us that God will not discipline us. It does tell us that when God does discipline and when we do get a taste of the, of the consequences of our actions, God will help us in that to learn and to grow. And he is doing that as a father lovingly disciplines his children. But they're not under the new covenant. They're experiencing life under the old covenant. And under the old covenant, the warning is very clear and it is very stark. The warning is you're in trouble. And if you do not respond the right way to the trouble you're in, you will not make it out of this. Now, what has taken place is there is a world superpower called Babylon, but there is another world superpower that is not as powerful as Babylon, and it is called Egypt. And the thing that was always tempting to Judah was to partner with Egypt against Babylon. Now, the trouble with that is Jeremiah has been saying to them, Babylon is going to conquer you. It is God's discipline towards you. You need to receive that discipline, accept that discipline. And as parents, you, if you're a parent, you've been there before. You're giving out the discipline. And the worst thing that child can do in that moment is to try to wiggle out of the discipline because that makes you what? We're going to double the punishment now. If you don't want to sit here and listen and follow the instructions you've been given after you've gotten in trouble, you're going to be in even more trouble, right? And that's in effect what Judah's doing. God through Jeremiah is saying, here's the discipline. Babylon will conquer you and you're going to have to deal with that. And out of that, I am going to replant you in this land and there is hope, but you are going to have to go through the discipline. And what does Judah say? No thanks. We don't want to be disciplined. And who does? Who wants to be in trouble and experience the consequences of the trouble we get ourselves in? Nobody wants that. Not me, not you, no one, right? So it's understandable, but they had heard a clear word from God. And they directly rejected it. Now, that's happened many times, not just here in 42. But here in 42, we kind of see uh, the, these, these final moments. Now, the truth is, Babylon has already come and has already uh, beaten down Judah. But, he, but Babylon had not totally conquered Jerusalem and taken them out. They're in the midst of doing that. And people are starting to get so concerned they're looking for an out. They're looking to escape. And how are they going to do that? They're going to do that through partnering with Egypt. Now, what what I think we can learn from this, what what we can learn from Judah is that when God has us in discipline, we have to work against our natural instincts to escape it. When God has us in trouble, or when, when we get in trouble with God or with anyone, we have to work against our natural instincts to get out of that trouble. There are things that we will run to in the midst of trouble that will actually only make things worse. And that is what Jeremiah says to Judah. Through, through God, through Jeremiah, says to Judah, you're going to run to Egypt for help. But in fact, all you are doing, you're getting yourself into more trouble. 
The very thing you're running from, which is the fear of the Babylonians, is what's going to overtake you. And that is what happened. Babylon eventually did enter into Egypt and defeat them. And God says, almost none of you, are going to, such a small group of you are going to make it out of that alive. If that's in fact what you choose to do. Now what, what can we get from that is that we, we can have our natural instincts drive us. When we are fearful, in the midst of trouble, we become fearful. Perhaps we've done something wrong, and now we find ourselves in that position where we can lie about it, we can back off of it, we can pretend it didn't happen, we can, you know, we can make it seem like it was really no big deal. But the truth is, is we've messed up. And God sees it, maybe other people in our life see it, and out of fear, we can run. Run from the discipline of God. That's our natural instinct, but that natural instinct is wrong. Listen to what God says to these people. In verse uh, 11 of Jeremiah 42, God says to them, Do not be afraid of, of, king, of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you, and I will save you, and I will deliver you from his hands. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. Again, we lit the candle of hope today. This is, in essence, a, a message of hope. If it were to be received, of course it wasn't. But you, you see here, you hear in the voice of God, someone who has seen their rebellion, seen uh, their willingness to thumb their nose at God and ignore God and, and sin at will. And yet what God, listen to what God says to them. I know you're afraid. I know you've blown it. I know you're scared. But I'm with you. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will have compassion on you. I will restore you. That, that's what we need to hear. If you are in trouble with God, you need to hear that. That God is not someone who's a great being in the sky with a magnifying glass and just trying to burn you like we did when we were kids and we were trying to get those little ants, you know, you'd get the sun right at the right angle and nobody ever did that. Okay, bad example. All right, don't do that, by the way, kids at home. Don't do that. That's, that's wrong. You shouldn't do that. But sometimes that's how we think of God. But listen to what God, listen to how God explains himself and what he intends to do, what he wants to do if they would turn to him. Don't be afraid. I am with you. I will save you. I will deliver you. I will show you compassion. I will restore you. But the truth is, is they didn't want that. They didn't want God to be for them. They just didn't want God to be against them. They weren't interested in the blessings of God so much as they were interested in escaping the punishment of God. And so they make this deal with Jeremiah that is, is just uh, total baloney. They're not interested in this at all. They've already got in mind what they want to hear from God. They want Jeremiah to come back, and they want Jeremiah to say, listen, it's cool if you go to Egypt. You know, there's no war there. There's not going to be any famine there. You'll be protected there. Everything will be good. Just, yeah, go. No problem. Just get out of here. Here is hard. 
Jerusalem, Judea, under siege from Babylon, here is hard. This is challenging. Of course you should get out of here. Go. That's what they wanted to hear. Escape. But that's not what they heard. When God comes back with a message for what they should do, it's the exact opposite of what they want to hear, and so they call Jeremiah a liar. I think this is instructive to us. When we fear, in the midst of blowing it with God or with anyone else, and fear lays on top of us and is smothering us, what will we do? They're in, at least their stated impulse to go to God in prayer is right. But there is a difference between going to God with a loose grip on your desires. God, this is what I want. This is what I hope would happen. There's a difference between earnestly seeking his will versus wanting God to just rubber stamp what you already have decided to do. And that's what Judah has done. They've already decided what they're going to do. And they just want God to rubber stamp their plans so they can get out from under the trouble that they're in. Now, Jeremiah takes 10 days, or God takes 10 days, to answer the request. Judah gives Jeremiah their request. Go to God, find out what God wants us to do. Should we fight these Babylonians or should we flee to Egypt? And Jeremiah takes 10 days. I think this too is instructive. When, when you find yourself in trouble... And you go to God in prayer, it may take some time to sort out what God wants you to do. The answer may not be readily available to you. It may take you some time, just as it did the time God took to give Jeremiah an answer, and Jeremiah took that answer back to the people. Instead of just reacting and doing what comes natural to you, which is often what got us in trouble in the first place, we take time to pray and ask God, what do I do now that I've blown it? How do I respond in this moment, God? What would you have me to do? And it took Jeremiah some time, or it took God some time to give the answer. But then the answer came, and it wasn't what they wanted to hear. And because it wasn't what they wanted to hear, they decided to escape to Egypt anyways. They decided to capture Jeremiah and make him go to Egypt against his will. And what God said would happen is exactly what happened. Jeremiah and almost all of God's people who were a portion of the remnant that headed to Egypt did not make it out of their life. If you keep reading the story, you'll read about a prophetic word God gives Jeremiah to take some stones and bury them in the ground once they make it to Egypt and to tell the people, you escaped to Egypt to try to get away from Babylon. The king of Babylon is going to come here, set up his throne on these stones. And that's what takes place. Sometimes we will all find ourselves, at one moment or another, we will find ourselves in trouble with God. We've blown it. We could hide from it. We could pretend like it didn't happen. We could, we could excuse our ac actions. We could blame other people. All those, in the language of this portion of God's word, all of those are ways we try to escape to Egypt. We're trying to get away from the trouble we're in. 
And it, it reminds me uh, a while ago, a couple months ago, our children's ministry took a trip to a corn maze. And it had been raining a lot. And uh, we decided we would make the most of it, even though it was very muddy and very wet. And there were strangely small flies everywhere. It was almost like a, a biblical scene out of the escape from Egypt. I mean, it was almost like plague-level flies. It was kind of crazy. Some of you were there. You remember this? It was a bit intense. We said, we're going to make the most of it anyway. So we took off our socks and shoes, and we're going to do the corn maze anyways. And so we got into the corn maze, and it is very muddy, very slippery. We're going slow, and uh, Miss Sarah was leading the way. She had a, a map pulled up of the corn maze so that we could take all the right turns. And, of course, once you're in the middle of that, it can get a little confusing. We took a few wrong turns, but there are flies everywhere. And there is mud everywhere. And there are children everywhere. Like, I don't know. We brought them with us, so that's on us. But still, it was a bit of a chaotic scene, you know. And, you know, my impulse was, let's just blaze our own trail out of here. We don't need a map. Just big guys in the front, kids in the back. We will make our own trail. Now, what would happen if we had done that? There's no guarantee we would have came out on the right side. There's no guarantee. It's very likely we would have ended up on the opposite end of the exit. If you're in trouble with God, there is an exit, and God will guide you to it. But if you try to escape, if you try to run away from it, if you try to blame it on other people, if you try to excuse it, guess what? You're just going to come out on the wrong side. But I don't want to discount the reality that it is fearful. It's a fearful thing to know you've blown it. I've been there many times. How do we face that? We face it by knowing these words are true. Do not be afraid. I am with you. I will save you. I will deliver you. Now, those are promises made to God's people then. But do you see that they are fulfilled in Jesus now? In fact, the very words, Emmanuel, we're about to sing, what, is, what are we singing? God with us. Who is that? Jesus. Jesus is God coming down from heaven to be with us, not to congratulate us for doing a great job being human beings. It's not why he came. He could have done that from heaven. He comes to say, this is how you should live. He comes to say, your sins, I will take on myself. He comes to say, the death that you should die, I will die. He comes to say, eternal death will not be yours. I will give you eternal life. Jesus is the fulfillment of these promises. God is with us. He will save us. He will deliver us. God in Jesus is showing us compassion. He's showing us restoration. When I look at Jesus and not at my faults, not at my sin, when I look at Jesus, I feel the pull to come near to God. If I focus on how I've blown it, I will feel the pull to escape and run away from God. But if I look at Jesus, I see the compassion of God that draws me to him, and I hope you'll see that, because that's what Christmas is all about. 
is about God coming into the world with compassion for you and me. Not to pretend like we're not sinners, but to let us know what can be done about our sin. So if you find yourself in trouble with God, in some ways in your life you know you're, you're missing the mark, which is what sin is. Know that this Christmas story is Jesus, God in the flesh, coming to you full of compassion. What does that mean? You can go to him. And I hope you will. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful for your word. It tells such a human story. It tells us about people who are on, on the run because they've made enormous mistakes. And we know that is, that's our impulse too. And God, it wouldn't be, I think, a stretch to say that there may be some here this morning that may have been running from you for a long time. They feel the weight of their sin. They feel like failures. They feel like they can never, ever be forgiven, never be loved or accepted by you. And God, there is a mix of truth in that, that we are sinners. And there is nothing we can do to be right with you. But God, there's a whole lot of lie in that. Because we can be forgiven in Christ. We can draw near to you in Jesus. And I pray that they would hear that above all else this morning. They would hear that whether they're coming to you for the first time, not yet having trusted Jesus as their Savior, or they're coming to you for the thousandth time because they've blown it for the thousandth time and they just feel the weight of their sin, that they would know they come to a God of compassion. That in Jesus we see it most clearly. You're a God who is willing to point out our sin, but you're also a God who's willing to die for that sin. God, help us to come to you, not run from you. Help us to admit our mistakes, not pretend like they didn't happen or blame someone else or try to convince you or ourselves that it's no big deal. Help us just to come to you because you are here for us. And for that, we give thanks in the name of Jesus. We have a time of response to the Lord, and as we often say, uh, follow what the Lord puts on your heart to do, but just don't leave this place without talking to him about the things he has spoken to you. I hope he has spoken to you through some portion of the service today, and our, our job is to respond. And so we're going to sing this great Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Remember, we are singing Emmanuel, God with us, God here for you and for me. And so that's who we come to in prayer.